Hello, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. You may or may not be aware that 2021 marks the bicentenary of the birth of Giovanni Bottasini, a man who revolutionised double bass playing in the 19th century. If you're a bass player, no doubt you would have come across his multitude of virtuosic concert pieces, chamber music, or rattled your way through the first movement of Concerto No. 2, probably in an audition. But not only did Bottasini change the landscape of virtuosic bass playing, he was also a conductor, composer, and played the violin and viola, an expert in all clefs. To tell us a little bit more about the life and works of Bottasini, I'm joined by South African double bass player Leon Bosch, the podcast's first bass player. Here it is. Leon, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to see you. It's, uh, yeah, been a wee while since we've had a chat, about a year or so. It has. It feels like lockdown has been forever. But, you know, music has spluttered back to life, so it's very good to be here talking to you. Brilliant. Today we're talking all about the bass boss that is Bottasini. So Bottasini is a, a figure who is hard to avoid if you're a bass player or the wife of a bass player, as I am. Um, and yeah, he was famous for revolutionising double bass playing described as the Paganini of the double bass in his day. So first of all, I wanted to ask you, what does Bottasini mean to you personally? Well, Bottasini obviously was a transformational figure in the history of the double bass. Probably also the most famous musician of his time, not just as a double bass player. He was a truly international virtuoso. He travelled the world extensively. And that was because, you know, uh, transport was beginning to accelerate. But most of us remember him just as a double bass player, but actually there was a lot more to Bottasini than just being a bass player. He was a composer, and that's how he saw himself really as a composer and also a conductor. And the truth is that he turned down a lot of engagements as a soloist in order to pursue those passions as a conductor and as a composer. As a composer, for example, he composed at least 250 works, and amongst those, of course, are the 48 pieces for double bass. There are 15 operas, seven string quartets, four string quintets, an oratorio, and uh, also a mass to commemorate the passing of his brother, the trumpeter, Luigi. So there's that complex. And most people remember him for conducting the premiere of Verdi's Aida. And of course, he had a lifelong relationship with Verdi. 1871 was the year when he conducted that Verdi premiere. But that year is not significant only for the fact that he conducted Verdi, but that was the year he premiered his own opera, Alibaba, in London at the Lyceum Theatre. It had 20 performances, and it was unbelievably rapturously received. The reviews at the time were ecstatic. You know, somebody amongst the critics said that Bottasini should spend more time with his pen than with his bow, and he would then contribute something lasting to human society. So there was a complex character. But for me, as a double bass player, of course, it is his music that inspired me to wish to become a bass player. When I first played the bass, you know, I played my etudes like everybody else. But then... I heard Gary Carr play a recital in Cape Town. He'd come to visit Cape Town to play Kusevitsky with the orchestra, the Cape Town Symphony Orchestra, and then he played in the Baxter Concert Hall a recital with Lama Krauss and the pianist. So this was, I think, in 1979 or 1980. And the last piece on his program was Bottasini's Fantasy Sonambula. And that, for me, was mesmerizing, and that was the turning point. When I saw Gary Carr's hands flying across the fingerboard, I thought, I'd like to do that. I then 
looked around to find the music and I discovered that York Edition had published three volumes of Bottasini's music. So I ordered it. And I just checked before we started speaking. The date on my music of the three volumes of Bottasini is the 8th of August, 1980. Mm -hmm. And the first piece that I played of Bottasini was the Elegant Tarantella. And that piece has stayed with me for life. I was about 17 years old when I played. I started the bass at 16 and I was 17 when I played the Elgin Tarantella for the first time. It was my favorite piece. I played it hundreds of times throughout my life. That was the thing that sparked my interest in the idea of virtuosity. How did you practice in order to be able to play these things as they should be. Also, it taught me a little about the bel canto style. Mm -hmm. The elegy is such a deeply moving piece, and I wanted to discover what I needed to do to really get to the bottom of it. But you know what I did in the end? I played 10 pieces of Bottasini for my final recital at university. So, and my love of him was not only because of the music, I felt that we had a special connection. And do you know why? Because Bottasini died on the 7th of July, 1889, and I was born on the 7th of July. So we have a connection to that mystical number seven. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a connection there. So, I mean, I would imagine that the landscape of double bass playing would be very different had it not been for Bottasini. I mean, you mentioned yourself that he enabled you to discover virtuosity and everything that comes along with having to learn how to play these pieces in the way that they are intended. So, you know, apart from that, can you give me some examples of how else Bottasini has changed bass playing? Bottasini had a very tortured relationship with his publisher. He always had to try to persuade them to publish his operas and they never accepted them uncritically. But one thing they did do was they persuaded him to write a method. And his method was published and recently republished. But this gives the world this view into how he played the bass, how, how he understood the instrument. And the important thing to learn from that is that it wasn't just about playing the double bass. He was interested in developing the complete musician in the same way that he was the complete musician. It's easy to forget that actually he was a violinist. Yeah. He started the violin at the age of four. So his command of string playing was quite sophisticated already by the time he began to play the double bass. And he never stopped playing the violin, but he also played the viola. So it is important also to know that, for example, the string quartets that he wrote, he wrote seven of them. He wrote them mostly because he loved the medium of chamber music, but also so that he could play his viola in the string quartet and sometimes the violin. He also played chamber music with other musicians. To develop the complete musician was his mission in life. He himself dedicated so much time to developing his own artistry. He was not just the bass player, the virtuoso that staggered everybody by the way he played. Mm. He also wanted to be a great conductor and he devoted a lot of energy to that and he really fundamentally saw himself as a composer. We forget that he left conservatoire early, not because he thought he was now a great bass player, but because he wanted to devote more time to composition. Right. But if anybody's in any doubt about his accomplishments as a double bass player, one only has to read reviews of the time. You know, he came to London, or to, to Britain for the first time in 1849, and he came almost every year with a little gap at some point where he wanted to compose until the year before his death in 1888. He played about 800 concerts throughout the United Kingdom. And one of the reviews said, you know, despite the fact that he played with musicians like Joachim, Alfredo Piatti, uh, Camillo Savori, who was Paganini's only student, and all the greatest artists of the time, the great singers, 
one review said that he simply extinguished everybody else on stage. Now, this is quite something when, it, when you're talking about people like Vyanyavsky and Camilla Savori and the great opera singers of the time. Yeah. But that was the extent of his mastery. Mm -hmm. And we underestimate this. So it leaves me with that uh, decided realization that he was something quite special. And if one wants to aspire to play his music, then, of course, one has to think of how he excelled himself. You have to be the complete musician to tackle the works of Bottasini. Abs absolutely. You know, of course, these works are still the yardstick by which every aspiring soloist is judged. But there's much more to this. And the thing that, for me, is particularly interesting is that the chamber music. My ensemble has just recorded three of the four string quintets. And when my friends came to my house to rehearse, you know, they all had this impression they would come to play Bottasini, some second-rate stuff. But within minutes, they were flabbergasted. <laughs> and in fact, I have to tell you the truth, I was flabbergasted also to hear the quintet with two cellos, for example. It was unbelievably good, not just good, extraordinarily good. The, there are two quintets with two violas, of which we've recorded one. And again, I was flabbergasted by how good it is. I listen now to the final edits of the disc we've made, and the disc will be ready for sale next month on the Somme Records label. But I smile every time I hear this music. It is just so captivating. It's good to know that there's also more music with that instrumentation of two cellos, because then you compare it quite nicely yeah. with the Schubert quintet, or you compare the quintet with two violas, with you know the Brahms Absolutely. or Dvorak, and then that's just widening, widening the repertoire available. Absolutely. You mentioned Schubert, for example, but you know that Bottasini also had a passion for the music of Mendelssohn. And, you know, he wrote for double bass the concerto di Allegro alla Mendelssohn, which is based, of course, on the, the violin concerto with the cadenza in the middle and, you know, the structurally it looks like. But he understood the composers of the time so well. You know, he was a champion of Italian music, the opera, of course. Like every composer at the time, he devoted a lot of time to opera, but he also loved instrumental music. And despite the fact that many of his Italian colleagues thought that he was a bit of a sellout going down the chamber music route, he persevered. He, he was co-founder of two quartet societies. How can you be a sellout going into chamber music? That just seems like a rather incongruous exactly. comment you know, to make. <laughs> absolutely. But at the time, you know, uh, it wasn't fashionable to go down that eclectic route, that opera was <laughs> the means of expression for great Italian music. Sure. But he was, you know, he lived during the time of Wagner of Donizetti, Verdi, Guno, Rossini, composers like these. And in my opinion, he was at least as good as them, maybe sometimes better. It's difficult for people to accept that, maybe. One of his operas, for example, had a greater first run than did Bizet's Carmen and was better received. And the idea that his operas have languished until now, I think is a bit of a disservice to great music that we've inherited. And I think that this year, with us celebrating the bicentenary of his birth, it's a wonderful opportunity to reevaluate his contribution to the music world and to society. Yeah. No doubt there's going to be a lot of Bottasini this year uh, with the uh, bicentenary. I wanted to ask you a question pertaining to something that I read in our December issue, which features a piece on Bottasini. Yes. And I found this quite interesting, actually, because, you know, we've been talking about revolutionising uh, bass playing as well as being a complete musician. But one thing I found quite interesting to read was that Bottasini popularised the use of French bow, overhand bow, on the double yes. bass. Yeah. And he actually sort of disdained the 
German bow, yes. even saying, by the use of the ordinary German bow, you make a noise, but no song. So I wanted to ask you, as someone who plays German bow, how do you feel about this comment? <laughs> Bottasini, like anybody who's devoted a lot of time to developing the art, had very strong opinions about how he did what he did. And naturally, he developed the French bow because, let's not forget, he was a violinist before and also a connection with the cello. And so the early technique he learned was in some way related to the cello technique. And as you know, he was also intimately involved in developing a bow which suited him. It is, in my view, not necessarily just the tools which are instrumental in the musician becoming the artist. Mm. It is how you employ those tools. I'm a German bow player, as you know, although I did start to play the double bass with a French bow because I was a cellist before. Okay. And my opinion differs a little bit from Bottasini's. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I played the double bass with a French bow for at least a year and a half, maybe two. And when I learned to play my first concerto for public uh, performance, it was a piece by Draganetti I was going to play with a string orchestra. My teacher is, was Hungarian, Zoltan Kovacs, and I picked up one of his spare bows whilst I was practicing and I started playing. And I just realized that it was the most natural thing in the world. And I have to tell you, I never looked back. I think that the German bow suits the instrument extraordinarily well. And this idea that one cannot sing with a German bow, of course, is not entirely, uh, not the whole truth. For Bodicini, it worked very well. He played the French bow, obviously, so well that he extinguished all the other artists on the stage. But, I mean, there are many great German bow players in the world. And there are a handful of French bow players also who <laughs> aspire to that status. <laughs> I can see what side you're on right now. <laughs> yes. But you understand that there is still this kind of debate going on about is the French better than German. But my view is that it doesn't matter which bow you pick up, you should be able to play the music. Yeah, so absolutely. I have a lot of students who play a French bow and most of them play German bow. And for the German bow students, when they say, well, maybe this works better with French bow, uh, you know, one can demonstrate, I demonstrate with either. So it's not either or, you know, sometimes French bow plays, oh, well, you can only do that with the German bow, so I'll pick up the French bow and do exactly what they say is possible only with the German bow. So it's not a question of the tools, really. Yeah. But Bottasini had very strong views about everything. Sometimes he was accused of, especially when he conducted, of not necessarily taking complete and utter control. It's because he sometimes wanted to encourage others to explore their own artistry or to examine their own way of seeing the world. Yeah. I think that uh, Bottasini will, in due course, be seen to be somebody that was quite transformational, not just for the double bass, but in chamber music also, his contribution, and also in opera. Mm -hmm. I, I find it difficult to believe how his opera Alibaba has not received a contemporary performance, especially given the success it had at the Lyceum in London. And... I've spent a lot of time trying to find the score, and I've now discovered that it's in the Ricordi archive, and I've also managed to lay my hands on the vocal score. And as a bass player that's become a conductor, I think that I want to take on the <laughs> challenge of recording and performing his opera Alibaba. Oh, excellent. Well, we look forward to the Alibaba modern-day premiere, courtesy of you, Leon. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing your thoughts on Bottasini today. It's a great pleasure. Just want to tell everybody that if they wanted to come and hear some of what Bottasini's music, they can come to the Rigmore Hall on the 7th of December when I play with my ensemble and my pianist. Mm -hmm. They can also come to Trinity where I'm professor of double bass 
on the 17th of December, where we've devoted a whole day to concerts of the music of Giovanni Bottasini. <laughs> so if you don't know anything about Bottasini going into that day, you'll certainly know lots about Bottasini coming out. Fabulous. Absolutely. <laughs> that was bass boss Leon Bosch on Bottasini. And you're listening to a piece mentioned in the chat, Fantasy Sonambula, played by Leon, composed by, you guessed it, Bottasini. This episode coincides with the recent release of the Strad's December issue, which is double bass themed. It features a profile of Bottasini, written by Stephen Street, a student of Leon's, as well as a look at Venetian double basses, written by Thomas Martin, George Martin and Martin Florence. Stop by the stradshop.com to get your copy. You can't miss it, it's got double basses on the cover. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. If you're a student, you can get 50% off an online subscription. Check the show notes for the link. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. Thanks for listening. Tune in again soon for another episode. Bye.